Hello, welcome to Psychic Teachers. I'm your host, Samantha Fay. And I'm Deb Bowen. And we're so happy to have you here with us today. We have an exciting show for you, we think. We're going to be discussing ancient alchemists and magicians. So we have lots of exciting information about some well-known and little-known magicians and alchemists who carved the way for some really interesting theories on science, chemistry, and magic. But first, as you all know, uh, we always start with a crystal of the week and an animal of the week. For those of you who are loyal, long-time listeners, welcome back. And for those of you that are new listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and checking us out. We really hope you are enjoying the show. Deb, do you want me to start with the crystal? That'd be great. Okay. Um, I chose Unikite, which is a beautiful um, green stone with mottled and swirled with some reddish-pink color in it. It's made up of feldspar, epidote, and quartz. And to me, Unikite is the stone of birth and rebirth. It's it's a hardworking little stone. It's very easily obtained and very affordable, which is always good to know. I'm going to be getting my information from Melanie's Love is in the Earth book and Cassandra Eason's The um, Illustrated Directory of Healing Crystals. So um, Melody says that Unikite is great for facilitating the rebirthing process, and it helps you to deal with information and events of the past, which may have been instilling blockages in the energy centers of your body. Unikite provides for a gentle release of these conditions which have been inhibiting your growth. It's a great balance to the emotional body. She also recommends using Unikite to help you go beneath the physical symptoms of disease and allow for the determination of the root cause underlying the condition, uh, the cause becoming apparent in the cases of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual planes of existence. So if you're wondering, you know, why do I always get a strep throat in December, meditating with Unikite can help gently bring that knowledge to the surface. She also says that Unikite can be used in the treatment of the reproductive system and to stimulate healthy pregnancies while facilitating the health of the unborn. Now, Cassandra Eason says that the magic of Unikite has become associated with the harmonious union of Mars and Venus and that it's often given as a token between married couples or longtime partners as a symbol of their union. She also recommends using Unikite for the birth and rebirth process. She says it can be used during labor to promote an easy birth. It triggers the body's self-healing process and balances bodily fluids and metabolism. Unikite also relieves obsessions or compulsions that have their roots in the past, even helping with childhood trauma. Above all, for both self-healing and healing others, Unikite uncovers the roots of a problem and gently releases any blockages that may have been preventing healing energies from flowing through the system. Uh, Cassandra Eason also recommends using Unikite at work and home for any partnership. She said Unikite promotes harmonious relationships both in love and in business. Use it for taking calculated risks and for making wise investments. Um, For children, Unikite helps uh, create a safe place for children to talk about their problems. It is um, a stone that mothers and fathers-to-be can use to help communicate with their unborn children. What does she mean by that? Well, you can, um, when I was pregnant, I used to dream about the 
the child a lot. And so you can sleep with Unikite under your pillow or you can um, wear a Unikite bracelet. I've talked before on the show how I made myself a Unikite bracelet uh, when I was pregnant with my first child. And everyone in my family has horror stories about pregnancies and deliveries, you know, the 36-hour labor. And I was determined to stop that. So I I made a Unikite bracelet when I was pregnant with my oldest, Olivia, and I had a very easy pregnancy and birth, I'm very blessed to say. Um, I think Unikite helped with that. I'm not saying it was the sole cause, but I think it helped. And what's really cool, Deb, is I wore that bracelet through all three of my pregnancies and deliveries and was lucky to have three easy pregnancies and deliveries. And after I had my kids, I found that Unikite bracelet, you know, on my jewelry box and I was like, oh, I should wear that again. And at that time, I knew I was done with my family and I wasn't going to have any more children. And I put it on, and that day it broke. It, the it, string it was done. Broke. And it was done. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I get it. You, you did what you were supposed to do. Um, right. So Unikite is just a really beautiful stone. Um, and if you're interested in it, you can check out my website. I do sell Unikite bracelets that I do feel are good for um, moms trying to become pregnant or who are pregnant. But I think they're also, I think Unikite is also good for the other things mentioned here about getting to the root cause of blockages and any um, health issues you may be experiencing. Do you work with Unikite? Um, I don't a lot, uh, but I sure have given a bunch of it away to people, you know, who who were trying to get pregnant or who a lot of re, needing things birthed in their lives, not just children, you know. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's Unikai. Okay. Who's our animal of the week? Our animal of the week is one that people don't like for me to talk about. Our animal of the week is badger. And I have to tell you that some years ago I was um, doing a, a, a session where I was working with a group of people um, and and their animal that they connect to, and one of the gals in the group pulled the badger card, and she lit into me like a badger. She it was furious. She was just mad. She just raged and and went round and round and round and round about how awful it was to have pulled this card, and this wasn't her at all. And the more she talked the more it became clear that indeed she was the badger. And the rest of the group pointed it out to her, and and she was able to see some of her aggressive behavior. And that's what badger represents, is aggressiveness. And and one one of the reasons that that I wanted to talk about uh, badger today isn't so much about badger energy per se, but it's about the idea that often in our world we will say, well, what does this animal mean or what does this crystal mean? And we don't really look at the multifacetedness, I'm not sure that's a word, of of the beings that we, we look at it around us. It's not just black and white. It's not just good and bad. It's um, We are multidimensional beings. And so when we might say, oh, this represents this, it's deeper than that. And Badger's a perfect example of that. Because while they are aggressive, they are vicious, they are quick to pounce, um, and I'm talking about here the animal itself, um, they they really can be um, very horrible animals in, in many ways. And um, 
yet there's a time when that kind of protectiveness and aggressiveness can be called for. Badger medicine is often found with women who are powerful medicine healers, uh, which I find an, an interesting thing to think about. But what they do is they, it, the energy of badger and that aggressiveness when working with healing has to do with using the, having the courage to perhaps use unconventional methods um, to heal, um, to be persistent and keep working until uh, the job is done when, when you are uh, a medicine person healing, helping to heal someone or helping them to heal themselves. They just don't give up. So, so that is a, an aspect of Badger that is really wonderful and, and positive. They are very self-assured people. Sometimes they are not able to act uh, assertive, with assertiveness as opposed to aggressiveness. And, and that's one of the lessons that Badger teaches us is where is that line and when, when is each of those traits needed as opposed to the others. So, so Badgers often come into our lives to remind us to be deeply grounded into the roots of the earth um, because um, they are connected. The animal itself is, of course, a very earth-based animal connected deep into the, into the earth. So be rooted and to be firm and clear about, about who you are and what you believe, but learn how and when to temper that with assertiveness rather than aggressiveness. So that's the energy of badger. You know, that's really good to know. That's I need to call on badger energy. I, you know, I'm, I'm a very nice person, and isn't that lovely and great? But what I've learned is that, <laughs> no, because I don't think I'm that not laughing nice at you. You just are. No, you just ahead. are. I, it's true. No, you are that. I'm starting to realize that a lot of my kindness is rooted in fear. And I have but a friend. in reality. Right. Well, like, for example, I, I met my good friend and her kids. We all met for lunch the other day. And, of course, my, my picky child ordered a grilled cheese sandwich. And when she was eating it, there was a little circle piece of plastic in the sandwich. Woo. So when the waitress came over, I said, hey, she found this little piece of plastic in there. And the, and the waitress said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. We'll get you a new one. And I was like, okay, thank you. And my friend was like, oh, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. No. She could have eaten that plastic. She could have choked on that plastic. We need to see a manager. <laughs> so she ended up getting the whole meal comped and got us a gift card to come back. And I thought, you know, I need more of that. I need more of that. And I, it's, I think it's important for people like me who are uh, working on their assertiveness to have friends like that to remind us how to fight and, and, how to, and the, right, the righteousness of anger. So there's yeah. a good side to Badger for sure, I would I would say. Absolutely. So there we go. Okay, let's move on. We, we need to get okay, on with that. Okay, so our, um, uh, I was reading an article in the Smithsonian Magazine about how these ancient texts have come to light, and the Chicago Library is reaching out to people. They are publishing these ancient magical texts on their website for free. And anyone who can translate Latin or Old English is asked to help with these translations. And many of these are old magical books that have spells and potions and all sorts of things in them. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I wish I had stayed in my Latin class. <laughs> but I did not. 
Isn't that so I took cool? Four, I took four years of Latin, and I can conjugate the verb to love. Hey, that's better than 99% of, of people, I would imagine. <laughs> um, so it just it just got me thinking, and I, I love reading and studying about our old magicians who kind of laid the, the groundwork for the stuff we are fascinated with. So Deb and I decided to do a show on ancient alchemists and magicians, and the first one I wanted to discuss um, is someone I've read about in, in, in passing in so many nonfiction and fiction books, but really didn't know a lot about, and that's um, Hermes Trismegistus. And I always thought that Hermes Trismegistus was a person, was an ancient alchemist and magician who lived long ago. But when I was researching him for this show, that's probably not true. Nobody really knows who he is. Uh, his name, Trismegistus, means thrice great, but they believe that he is a personification, a combination of the Egyptian god Toth and the um, Greek god Hermes, who's the Roman god Mercury. Both are gods of magic and writing, and both are considered guides to the afterlife. Toth is also in charge of astrology and alchemy. And out of the teachings of this Egyptian god and the Greek god um, came this personification of Hermes Trismegistus that led us to what is called Hermetic philosophy. And this Hermetic philosophy gives people a way to ascend out of the bonds of the human body. The Hermetic philosophy is considered a divine source of wisdom. There are thousands of writings that have been attributed to him. For example, Clement of Alexandria claimed the Egyptians had 42 sacred writings by Hermes. Plato's writings said there were sacred halls with ancient teachings and records from Hermes Trismegistus that had been kept there for 9,000 years. Think about that. When Plato was writing this in BC times, he said that these writings were hidden for 9,000 years. The Hermetica contains spells and initiatory induction procedures. It also has uh, specific instructions on how to imprison demons and statues with herbs and crystals and then use that to enable the statue to talk and prophesize. That sounds a little scary, doesn't it? Wow. Um, I know. It also includes instructions on how to create images or statues and then animate them, which kind of reminds me of the golem. And I wonder if that's where that came from. There's a lot of Kabbalah. A lot of the Kabbalah teachings are said to have come from Hermes Trismegistus. Uh, some claim that um, he and his teachings built the Egyptian pyramids. Some claim that Hermes Trismegistus, can I just call him H.T.? It's such a hard name for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> you Good can't old as far as I'm the bird. <laughs> um, pre predates Moses. Others say he was a contemporary of Abraham. Still other writers claim that H.T. taught Abraham. And still others claim he is the grandson of Adam. Christian writers in the early beginnings of the church saw him as a pagan prophet. And some say that he's third in line of men named for Hermes, Enoch, Noah, and then, um, you know, Trismegistus. I'd never had uh -huh. heard that. Have you heard that? No. Did you know that Enoch was named for Hermes? No. Me neither. Yeah, that's all new to me. Um, 
It's said in the Emerald Tablet of Hermes Trismegistus that he knows the three parts of the wisdom of the whole universe. And these three parts of wisdom are alchemy, astrology, and theurgy, T-H-E-U-R-G-Y, which is the practice of magical rituals. He's been called the greatest philosopher, priest, and king. So there's a lot of different hermetic writings attributed to him, such as the Asclepius. Any Greek people out there, please don't crucify me. It's A-S-C-L-E-P-I-U-S and the Corpus Hermeticum. These are the two most popular of the um, Hermetica writings. Many believe they were written by several Greek authors. The term hermetically sealed comes from spells attributed to Hermes Trismegistus' uh, instructions on how to magically protect and seal the magic in the object. Hermeticism experienced a, re a revival during the Renaissance and the Reformation. Um, I was, you know, how you and I love to go to the Crystal Links website for information too. Mm -hmm. So I went to her website to see what she had to say about all of this. She believes his name, the Trismegistus, the three great, you know, the thrice great. She believes mm -hmm. that that refers to our third dimension as magic and illusion. And here's what she wrote. Hermeticism transcends monotheism and polytheism, as well as deism and pantheism, which teaches that there is a transcendent God, the all or the one, of which we and the entire universe participate. It also subscribes to the notion that other beings, such as gods, angels, and elementals, exist in the universe. So I think what she's trying to say is that by studying Hermeticism, you are able to transcend the limits of this third dimension. And it is from the concept of Hermeticism that we have the, go the order of the Golden Dawn, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which was the, the whole ceremonial magic um, work that was done by um, A.E. Waite and um, Yates and um, Alex de Crowley and a whole bunch of other folks at the turn of the 20th century, the late 1900s. Which is why I've century. always stayed away from that. I've never studied that because Crowley kind of made it sound so scary to me. Absolutely, me too. But if you if you trace its roots back to what you're doing with the with the information you're providing, you can begin to see that that study that they were doing in a different way. Mm -hmm. I think. Not I agree. that I'm a proponent of I'm not a proponent of Crowley in any way, but but just you know just to think about it in a in a broader sense, I think is what I'm proposing. Now, um, the Egyptian god Toth is said to have written the books of breathings, which teaches humans how to become gods. And Hermeticist, it's it's interesting. I I'm very fascinated by Gnostic teachings, and a lot Me of the too. Hermetic te yeah, a lot of the Hermetic teachings that I was reading about. Uh, for this show, it seems really similar in some ways. I know there are differences, but it, it's fairly similar. You know, Gnostics, the word gnosis is, is knowledge, and they believe that knowledge frees us from the bonds of this earthly plane. And hermeticists, hermeticists believe the same thing, that knowledge will free us. Um, many of the writings were lost in the first to third centuries. Hmm, I wonder why. If we've got writings <laughs> teaching us that we can become gods, what's that going to do to the growing church? 
Um, but a thousand years later, in 1460, many lost texts were found in the Byzantine Empire and were acquired by Cosimo de Medici, the ruler of Florence. And people, I got to tell you, I love studying all sorts of weird stuff and mysteries. Every time I study anything weird or mysterious about magic, the Medici name pops up. Mm-hmm. Don't you agree? Well, yeah, because, you know, they gave us the foundation of what today became modern medicine. And and that right. and in those and then that time that was really obscure knowledge, you know, and very so the, uh, protected knowledge. And we're going to run out of time, Samantha. So so yeah, I've got one more sentence, guy. and then I'm throwing it to you. The main okay. teaching of Hermes Trismegistus is that the soul can escape its bondage to the material plane through knowledge. Say it one more time. The soul can escape its bondage to the material plane through knowledge. That's an interesting thought to ponder, isn't it? It really is. And you know what else is interesting to ponder? All of the gods that have been uh, put down throughout the myths, Prometheus, Coyote, uh, Loki, um, all of them have been vilified for trying to give humanity knowledge. Yep. Well, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right, you know. Yeah. I mean, look what happened to Adam and Eve, or to Eve, yeah. really. Uh-huh. Right. <clears throat> Interesting. Fascinating. Well, let's just move up a few years, shall we? Okay, In time. yes. All right, like, you know, 100 A.D. Let's let's just do that, 100 A.D. Uh, but let's stay over there in, in Greek and Roman land, and let's talk about Claudius Ptolemy. And Ptolemy is spelled P. T-O-L-E-M-Y. The P is silent, like with um, those ancient birds, you know. So the P is, the P is silent. Um, he lived um, between 100 and 170 A.D. He was a Greco-Roman mathematician, astronomer, geographer, and astrologer. And it and one of the things, and I, I'm not going to have nearly enough time to talk about this uh, today because I want to just give folks an overview of him, but his work as a mathematician paved the way for our knowledge and understanding of sacred geometry. That's one of the things that, that I love about him. But he gave us so many other things. He really was, for for the time period, very much a scientist and he wrote uh, three treatises that I want to talk about specifically that were important in Byzantine, Islamic, and European science. Um, the first is called Almagest, A-L-M-A-G-E-S-T, uh, which was originally entitled Mathematical Treatise, Treatises. The second is Geography, which um, was really the foundation for um, the understanding of map making, cartography. He really gave us the first um, concept that we could make a map of, of a large scale space. And then the third is an astrological treatise in which he attempted to adapt horoscopic astrology to natural philosophy uh, based on Aristotle's work in his day. Fascinating that he was able to. I think. I think one of the great gifts that Ptolemy gave us was his ability to put the pieces of the puzzles together, because that's what he did with math and science 
and cartography. He was he. I think of him as being a real broad brush kind of of person, um, in that what he gave to us. Um, so so let me just take those briefly one at a time. In his work on astronomy, um, he developed a rhythmical techniques for calculating astronomy. Astro, I'll get this word out in a minute. Astronomical uh, phenomenon. So, for example, he was able to do the math of the movement of the planets in the sky. Um, he was able to calculate how things were going to move, and he used math and geometry to do that. Um, his models uh, created tables to compute the future and past positions of the planet. So for those of you who are interested in astronomy and astrology, um, you have Ptolemy to thank, to thank for, for how he put those pieces together. He was able to create a star catalog as a part of the Almagest um, to look at the constellations and their movement in the sky and how they work with each other. He also was able, as I said, to create this uh, amazing geography work that that looks at um, latitude and longitude. Um, he assigned coordinates to all the places in the world uh, and the geographic features he knew in a grid that spanned the globe. So uh, he really gave us the basic concept of, of latitude and longitude which of course then also paved the way for the idea of ley lines and uh, sacred spaces on the do on the planet. Which I, I, isn't this amazing to you? I just am fascinated by this. And then, it uh, really and then is. I, I know. And then a finally his work with astrology of what does, what does it mean in the placement of these, of these planets and where they are and how that connects to each of us at the time of our birth. Uh, he was very practical. He thought of astrology as medicine um, in that it, medicine in terms of how uh, we are affected by um, the position of the planets, not only at our birth, but also throughout our lives. I just love that. He also gave us an influential work on music called harmonics and the math of music, which, I, which I'd love, particularly in the work that I'm doing in researching vibration and energy and working with, with water and sound and the work that, that I'm working on right now with that. So um, Ptolemy paved the way for that. It just goes on and on and on about what this man was able to do um, in the early um, part of, of uh, in the early 100. Second century, uh, yeah. Second century, that's the word I was looking for, thank you. Um, with with what, what he had available to him at the time. So what a gift Ptolemy has been to, to our way of thinking and the connections of math and spirit in the world. Wow. So All right, well, let's take a quick, a quick break and tell people about Audible um, and some fun things we're planning for everyone in January, and then we'll get back to our next alchemist and magician.
Um, so okay. as you all know, we are sponsored each week by Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com slash psychic teachers, you can try Audible free for one month. This week we are recommending The Alchemist, um, which is by Michael Scott, and it's, it's um, marketed toward middle school kids. My kids read it, but Deb and I have also read it. It's it's I a love great it. read. Oh, <laughs> I do too. I do too. Um, the the full title is The Alchemist: The Secrets of the Immortal Nicholas Flamel, Book One. So if you love to get engrossed in a fun read that has a series to it, this is a good choice. Or if you're going to be driving for the holidays in the car with kids and you want something everyone can listen to, this would be a great book to download. Um, it's about two kids, Sophie and Josh, and they help Nicholas Flamel and his wife. Um, and John D is a bit of a villain in this book, which is hard for me because I love John D. But lots of good history in there and just, just a great mystery. Um, also, Deb and I want to tell you about some fun things we are planning in January. Um, on January 11th, Deb and I are going to be doing a webinar on psychic tools, and we're going to be teaching you how to use pendulums, crystals, cards, psychometry, a little bit on palmistry and runes, different tools that you can use to help jumpstart your intuition in the new year. Uh, so we'll have information on our website about that next week. On January 18th, I'm going to be teaching a webinar um, on raising intuitive children. I've got a lot of uh, people emailing me interest in doing a class on that, so I'm putting my notes and handouts together on that. And again, that will be on my website uh, next week if you want to sign up for that. And I've got have... stuff happening in December as well uh, that I want to talk about and then move into into January. I have managed to clear my schedule on Wednesday, December 6th, and Thursday, December 7th. So that's this coming week, this coming Wednesday and this coming Thursday. And I've got just a couple of spots left for um, folks who would like readings from me. So you can see that information on my website as well as debbowen.com. But I do have just a couple of spots left for Wednesday and Thursday for readings, a 30-minute uh, reading. So if you've been waiting to, to try to get in to see me, this week is the time because I don't know when I'll have uh, a free day again to, to offer these. And then in January, I am offering my Beginner to Row course, um, which is I'm calling it Unlocking, Unlocking the Mysteries of Tarot, I think is what I've named it. Uh, and it will run uh, for three consecutive weeks beginning on Monday the 8th. So Monday the 8th, um, Monday the 15th, and Monday the 22nd is my Tarot. No, I'm see, I'm confused. Scratch that, everybody. Tarot courses on Tuesdays, Tuesday the 9th, the 16th, and the 23rd. Tarot course. Tuesday, January 9th, and the two following weeks. On Monday night, beginning on the 8th, I'm starting a new course that I probably have been researching for years trying to put this course together. And it is a course on the Holy Grail and what that grail really still means to each of us in our lives today. And that's on Monday nights um, on the 8th and the two following Monday nights after that. So three things happening for me. Um, My two reading days this coming week, Monday night uh, in January, the grail course and Tuesday nights, 
the Tarot course, and all of that information is on my website and would love to have you join me. So that's yes, what I've got and we'll going put all of this information um, on our Facebook page, too. So if you haven't joined us on Facebook, please do so. Psychic Teachers, all one word. And we'll post updates um, on these webinars and, and uh, classes, online classes and all of that. Um, so please join us there. Anything else? I think that's it. I'm sure when I we finish the show, I'll think, oh, golly, I should have told everybody about this. But certainly you can find, as Samantha says, information on our Facebook page and on our website. So there we go. Okay. And um, in keeping with our timeline, do you want to move uh, up just a couple of years and tell everybody about Mary? I do. I, I'm I'm fascinated by this woman. And, y'all, I know that we love teaching you uh, new information, but I love learning the new information that it takes us to, to uh, pull together to, to teach these uh, kinds of uh, podcasts to you all. And this is one for me that was just amazing. Mary the Jewess, and I'm pronouncing it the way it was pronounced then, J-E-W-E-S-S. She was also sometimes called Maria the Jewess, uh, was an, considered basically by some to be the mother of alchemy. She was also called Mary the Prophetess. Uh, she was um, known to us basically because uh, some Gnostic Christian writers kept her information alive. She lived sometime between the first and third century and is credited with the invention of several kinds of chemical apparatus. Um, and considered to be the first true alchemist in the Western world. Isn't that amazing? I just, I just think this is just so it cool. It really is. I, I know. Um, she, um, none of her writings have really survived, um, but there are quotations that are credited to her that are found in Hermetic writings. Um, the most notable of this is a a piece called The Dialogue of Mary and Eros on the Magistry of Hermes, uh, which is extracted by an anonymous Christian philosopher. So so here's um, one of the things that she she worked on in her work as an alchemist, and it was the idea of the union of opposites. Um, and here's some of the cryptic kinds of things that she would say. Uh, join the male and the female, and you will find what is sought. One becomes two, two becomes three, and out of the third comes the one as the fourth. Um, and Carl Jung says that um, these were metaphors for becoming whole and balanced and, and a complete person and individuating into one's own right. She is said to have discovered hydrochloric acid, although that's not necessarily uh, accepted by most scientists, but uh, some folks say that she did that. And she created something called the Bain-Marie, meaning Mary's bath, which limits the maximum temperature of a container and its content to the boiling point of a separate liquid, essentially a double boiler. Uh, it is extensively still used today in chemical processes for which a gentle heat is necessary. 
Uh, and of course, we know it. Uh, thinking about double bowlers, and I mean, you can't can't make fudge without a double bowler. I don't think, or at least I can't. Um, so she she really was the uh, somebody who understood the concept of um, of science and and the magic of science and that union of opposites that's so much prevalent even in today's world. Rumi talked about that, for example. Um, and yet she was also very much a scientist who created tools with which to do the, the research and the work that she was doing. And that's, I could go on and on and on about her. Let me let me just see if there's any couple of other things I want to say about her. Go ahead. Well, um, I just wanted to say, I think it's so cool the way science and math is such a part of this magical world we are so interested in, which is really neat. Um, and if you don't mind, I just want to share a, a meditation experience I had last week, Deb. Mm -hmm. You know, I often have like those dreams and messages that come one of the things that I, I keep getting in my dreams and my meditations is that we are really working on overcoming that duality in our world. And my guides showed me this really neat metaphor. Uh, they showed me a, a room that was completely dark. And when a light is turned on in that dark room, the dark room becomes bright. And then they showed me a really, really bright room. And they showed me this dark little shadow that walked into the room and it didn't really affect the lightness. There was just a dark spot in the room. And my guides were saying, this is why light workers are needed so much right now because we can overcome the darkness so easily by shining our light. The darkness can only diminish that one area of, of light that it's in. But we can, when we meld those two opposites with our light, we overcome that darkness. And it was just a neat metaphor to see. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that so much of this work that we're talking about from ancient alchemists and magicians really have paved the way to lessons that we are still trying to learn as human beings today. So there you go. Well, okay, so okay. we're going to go up a couple of hundred years um, to the 1200s. <laughs> there's um, there's a another ancient alchemist named Albertus Magnus. He lived from 1200 to 1280. Legend says that he discovered the, the philosopher's stone and then passed it on to his student Thomas Aquinas, Aquinas, sorry, um, who. In, in this legend, there's no proof of this. In the legend, it was said that Thomas Aquinas then destroyed the stone because he thought it would be dangerous for people to have access to that. Um, Albertus Magnus has said that he witnessed the creation of gold by transmutation. He, ha he has written that. That does survive. Um, he was born in Bavaria, educated at the University of Padua. He said he had an encounter with Mother Mary when he was a child who told him to become a priest. And what was interesting is that uh, writings about him said that he was not a very intelligent young boy. And after he had this encounter with Mother Mary, he became the most intelligent man of his, of his time. And he's actually called the most prolific writer of the 13th century. He became a Dominican priest in 1223 or 1229. He taught for years in Germany and France. 
He was the first to study, teach, and write about all the writings of Aristotle. He became a bishop um, in 1260, but he resigned three years later because he preferred to spend his time studying and teaching. He was known to be a very humble man. For example, he refused to ride a horse, preferring instead to walk. He was beatified in 1622 and canonized as a saint in 1931 and is now the patron saint of scientists. Uh, he believed deeply in astrology and, and its ability to help us predict the future. Uh, some say he learned um, how to use alchemy to control the weather. There's one story that says he invited everybody over for dinner on a cold winter day. And when everybody arrived at his home, the dinner was set up outside and it was snowing and windy and cloudy and blustery and they looked at this table set for dinner outside and they looked at him and within minutes the um, weather transformed the sun came out it was warm the snow melted and they ate dinner outside now several people have written this down but it sounds like a legend to me but it's a neat story uh, people who visited his laboratory reported that he, vet, he invented an automation that was capable of intelligent speech and performed menial tasks. He was um, considered more of a chemist than an alchemist. He remained devoted to God. He believed that magic did exist, but he believed it should only be performed for good. He believed and wrote about the occult properties of stones. He said, a balance of the universe shall employ upon the possessor the knowledge of the heavens and unlock the powers of God. Man alone cannot disturb the march of the planets, but by summoning the keepers we part the veil, and behold, the distant elements of the planets are harmonized and relationships not previously seen are made visible. Uh, he's called the universal doctor. And for those of you who are interested in uh, weird ancient alien themes, he was said to have a magical stone marked with a serpent, which I found interesting. Wow. So a lot of the um, Catholic uh, teachers have kind of downplayed his whole belief in magic and alchemy and astrology and played up more of his Catholic teachings and writings and his work on Aristotle has always been venerated but a lot of people have rediscovered him especially like I was saying before in the Reformation and Renaissance time as, as an alchemist. I had to study him in college and um, I, we didn't talk about the magic stuff. We only talked about his spiritual work you know, in terms of Christianity. Sure, yeah. Uh -huh. Interesting. Okay. All right. Do you want to tell us about your favorite person in the whole world? <laughs> I do indeed. <laughs> I do indeed. And and I was thinking about about this um, uh, in planning for this uh, talk today, and I realized that, yes, I, I'm happy to talk about him for the next few minutes, but, you know, the truth is I really want to do a whole show on him. I really do. Um, and that is Merlin the magician. Merlin was not an alchemist per se, but he was a magician if he existed. And, you know, of course, there's lots of, of talk about, about whether that is in fact true. Um, my personal opinion for what it's worth with no evidence whatsoever except for one thing uh, is that he was a very real person and he really did exist and he really did live in southwest England and in Cornwall 
uh, and he really was uh, King Arthur's advisor. Um, but, you know, people don't always believe Arthur exists. I remember um, sitting through a, a video uh, at the museum in, in uh, Tintagel getting ready to walk out into the ruins of the castle where King Arthur was purportedly born. And they showed us, and it's in the museum, a, a piece of slate that says Artos, A-R-T-O-S, um, and the date of the late four, uh, 400s, I think it's 470 or thereabouts. And, uh, but the, the curator said, or the video said, but, you know, there's no connection really to King Arthur. And I'm like, hello, what, you know, of course there is, but that's just me. But, <laughs> but Merlin, whether or not he was a real person, whether he was a literary composite um, of a lot of various magicians, whether or not he's a symbol, um, all of that doesn't matter to me in that, in that he has become, for me, the quintessential symbol of, of magic and of um, connection to so much energy in the world. There is a um, theory that the, the Merlin figure comes from a much older legend from a person whose name is Taliesin, T-A-L-I-E-S-I-N. And Taliesin, uh, the story is long and convoluted, but Taliesin basically was born through a process um, that came from the the alchemic process of what the contents of the cauldron of Ceridwen. And Ceridwen is a Welsh witch. Uh, she is also a mother goddess figure, and she there's a whole wonderful myth that goes with um, her stirring this this concoction in her cauldron to help her son and the young man whose name is Gwydion who is supposed to be stirring it for her for a year and a day inadvertently uh, gets some splashed, some of this liquid splashed on his finger. He drinks it, sucks on his finger because it's hot and then he now has all the knowledge that um, she had hoped to be able, Saradwin had hoped to be able to to bestow upon her son. And she chases him through this long process. He ends, it up, ends up in a coracle in the sea and through this amazing process becomes Taliesin, the magician. And so, and this is a much older legend than the Merlin legend. And so some ideas is that, um, that Taliesin, that legend becomes the Merlin legend. There are many different um, legends about Merlin. Um, some have to, but, but they have some common threads. Um, born from, uh, one legend is that he was born from a mother and a dark uh, mythological figure, so he was only half human. Others say that he was the son of Aurelius Ambrosius, who was um, the king who brought Britain back uh, from uh, being in the clutches of, of a terrible king whose name was Bordadon. Um And Merlin knew as a very small child that he had magical properties. He worked ex 
extensively with crystals in some of the legends. Uh, Mary Stewart's wonderful uh, series about the Arthurian legend that begins with a book entitled The Crystal Cave gives us, traces that uh, part of the story. He really, um, as he as he grew up and, be, and um, became known for his magical abilities, he also was known as a magician, a, a musician. He played the harp. Um, and of course, one of the things that he's most well known for is raising the giant stance that after Stonehenge had uh, fallen into disrepair, Merlin raised the stones at Stonehenge. Um, and he contrived the union between Uther Pendragon and Lady Grain, uh, wife of Gloris of Cornwall, to um, bring them together so that they could give birth to um, Arthur, who would once become the once and future king, of course, and Merlin's uh, work to take care of him uh, and to guide him as he grew uh, from a child into becoming the king. This legend really comes to us uh, from Geoffrey of Monmouth um, in the uh, 1400s is when, is when he actually began to put this legend together. Although there are other writers who alluded to this legend earlier than Geoffrey, and there are other writers, of course, hundreds of them since then, who have written and um, about the, the, the story of um, Merlin and his relationship to Arthur and his work as a magician. One of the enduring pieces of the legend is that, of course, the sword, Excalibur, and that Merlin finds that sword and hides it until Arthur is of an age where he can then also find it and pull it from the stone and fulfill the prophecy that he who pulls the sword from the stone is the right wise born king of all of Britain. That sword in many of the legends when Merlin found it was found with some other objects, one of which was a grail. And Merlin knew he was to leave that grail hidden, that there would be others who would come after Arthur who needed to search for that grail. Many legends, of course, talk about how that grail was uh, the cup of Jesus from the Last Supper. There's lots of theories about how it ended up uh, in southwestern England and then, of course, the Knights of the Round Table who go in search of the Grail. And so that's that's part of the piece of what I'll be teaching in uh, the Grail course I'm going to teach in January is that is that legend and what that really means for us to go on pilgrimages in our lives to search for that which is seemingly unattainable to search for that grail in our lives. And that was one of the enduring pieces of the legacy that Merlin gave us, is that that need to, to search, to become who we were meant to be. And Merlin knew that about himself uh, in, in many of the writings. Um, he knew that he... Um, he needed to find himself 
and be true to himself in his process of um, of accepting his magicianship, his guardianship of Arthur, and his willingness to do what he knew was the right thing for himself and for Britain at the time. Um, there are times in, in the Merlin story when he goes mad and he drops out of sight. There are times when he um, drops out of sight so that Arthur can come into his own and do what he knows without uh, is the right thing for Britain without the guidance of or the mentorship of, of Merlin. Legend is that he eventually was seduced by uh, a woman and locked forever in his crystal cave where he sleeps still awaiting for the right um, the new right-born king of Britain to reappear. And that's the Merlin legend and uh, five minutes flat with no breath. <laughs> I had also read that, um, good job, I had also read that he was trapped in a tree. Uh, you know, there are lots of different legends of that. Yeah. Okay, so we got, of course, we have Jeffrey's story. We have the wonderful Once and Future King book. We have T.H. White's work called The Book of Merlin. I mean, there are lots and lots and lots of different um, variations on, on this theme. I've never read the one that says he was locked in a tree. I don't know about that one. Yeah, I, I read it and I saw like a picture and the tree kind of looks like it. It was really interesting. I like the idea of him outside in a tree rather than in his lonely crystal cave. Oh, and I love yeah. him in the cave. I love him in the cave. Yeah, that's really cool. All right, well, let's. Um, we only have a couple of minutes. I just have a paragraph I want to share about our next uh, magician alchemist, who is Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa. Um, von Nettesheim, but everyone just calls him Agrippa. He was born in 1468 to nobility in Cologne. He studied at the University of Cologne there. He worked as a mercenary in Spain. Um, there's a lot of things I really like about him. One, he wrote on the nobility and excellence of the feminine sex. He was a huge advocate for women. He tried to prove the superiority of women through his Kabbalistic studies. He defended women who were accused of witchcraft over and over and over again. He also defended Jewish people who were subjected to a lot of persecution. And he is quoted as saying, yes, I am a Christian, but I do not dislike Jewish rabbis. So he always was, um, he was in prison several times for defending Jewish people and women, uh, but he always leaned on his Christianity uh, to kind of get out of trouble. He served as an archivist and historian for Charles V, who was the ruler of the Spanish Empire, the Holy Roman Empire. He uh, fought with the Inquisition over his book, the, um, the Occulta Philosophia, which is just the occult philosophy, and he was in prison briefly for that. He was also in prison briefly for being in debt. He married three times, had a large family, uh, and he leaves a legacy of defending everybody's right to be. He really believed in human equality. I love that. Yeah, me too. We have um, two minutes. Do you want to do you want to talk about your last person real quick? Uh, that was Talison. Oh, that was. Oh, Merlin. that's right. And Talison is uh -huh. Merlin. 
Well, in some theory, in, in, in some logic, yes. Um, I, one of the things that I do each year, and I know you do this too, Samantha, is I, I come up, I, I set up something that I'm going to study for the year. And this past year, my study has been uh, Celtic mythology. And so I have done a tremendous amount of research in looking at um, Welsh and Irish, particularly uh, mythology. And, and Taliesin is a big part of that in, in overall Celtic mythology and how he became um, a bard, a storyteller, a musician. And some folks, of course, attribute the beginning of Druidism, Druidry. I'll get that word out, Druidry. He was the first Druid uh, is, is another um, of his claim to fame, according to some folks. And I don't know enough, really, uh, a talk about um, about that, to be able to talk about uh, the Druid world. I really don't. So, Well, we hope that we have at least uh, sparked your interest in studying and reading more about these brave pioneers. I don't know if I would have been as brave to study and write on these topics in the time that these uh, men and women were writing and speaking about these topics. I, I just think they are so intelligent and courageous and um, they need to be memorialized and, and remembered you know, more in our time as well as just prior time. So we hope we've given you some interest and maybe if you have some free time over the holidays, you can read up uh, more on them. There's some wonderful books written about all of these people and it's I think it's worth a study, don't you, Deb? Oh, absolutely, I do. Uh, certainly I do. Yeah. Um, and in this holiday season of magic, we hope at the very least these well-known, uh, famous, smart people have at least planted a seed in your hearts that magic is real. And I hope you oh, have a magical week. Me too. Me too. I, I hope that in the hustle and bustle of, of this crazy time that you can uh, – take time to breathe, and have some contemplation time. And we so appreciate you being a part of the Psychic Teachers family. Please check out uh, the information on our websites if any of this is resonating for you. And Samantha, tell them what else to do, and we'll be back with them next week. Yes, next week is our Q&A show, so please tune in. That's always a fun show. And in the meantime, be the light, everyone. Good night. Take care. Good night.